What's up, guys and girls? This is Bobby coming to you from Washington, um, up here at JBLM, rotating through Madigan at the hospital. Anyways, I want to throw up a podcast with some structure that really um, gives you guys some good info, some things, and some science about something that's uh, not, not that people don't really know a lot about. So today, I'm going to talk to you about sleep. Uh, I'm going to get into some of the science behind sleep, why sleep is important, how sleep is beneficial to us, uh, preventing injury, um, increasing performance, and then kind of get into some nitty-gritty and some of the sleep science. Uh, but I'll try to keep it uh, wave top and not get too deep in the weeds because uh, sleep is, can get pretty uh, pretty sciency. So I'll try to keep it... Um, try to keep it a little bit simpler and just give you guys the essentials and what you need to know before we get started just shout out the paragon recovery uh, for their supplements uh, use cronus 15 uh, for a discount and then if you're active duty or military or first responder just contact them directly for an increased discount so uh, just to give you guys a little background on what i'm doing um, I'm actually sitting on Vashon Island uh, up in Washington. It's like in the Puget Sound in between Tacoma and, Wa- and Tacoma and Seattle. Uh, if anyone knows the geography a little bit, it's actually it's a beautiful place. Uh, you can probably hear some waves in the background uh, and kind of the wind blowing. So I'm sitting on a rocky beach right now just by myself and really enjoying the weather, the scenery, and just really how things feel right now. So let's get started in our podcast about sleep. So I think I've had a very uh, weird relationship with sleep or not really a consistent relationship with sleep. I think in like high school, uh, I used to sleep like eight hours a day and I would still be exhausted and I woke up. And then in college in West Point, I was like averaging maybe five hours of sleep. And that kind of continued through my entire military experience in the army. Um, I was like going to bed around like 12 or one in the morning and wake up around five or five to get ready for the day, um, especially like in the army. I hated, hated going to bed early uh, because I knew I had to wake up at five. So like when I got home from work, it was probably like six or seven, and then all I wanted to do was relax and kind of, you know, take some personal time to do what I wanted to do and to really, um, you know, play some video games, watch some TV, and just really um, get some personal time. So that cut a lot in my sleep. Uh, and I think I really kind of suffered uh, over the last several years with my sleep and not really being consistent. Because I'd sleep like five or six hours on, on the week at, on the weekdays, and on weekends I'd sleep for like 11 or 12 hours, wake up at like noon or one, and then like get my day started, which was so inefficient and not really not really healthy for me. But then since in the last couple of years, I've really, um, really tried to tailor my sleep and tie down being consistent with my sleep. Right now, I'm averaging about seven to eight hours a night uh, of sleep at night. Uh, I try to be very consistent where I'm in bed by around uh, nine or ten, and depending what t- what I'm doing the next day, be up around five or six. So that gets me about uh, like seven or eight hours of sleep a night, which is key uh, for especially for us when we are physically active and training really hard. Uh, it's good to get at least eight hours of sleep. And I'll actually a little bit in the recommendation. So. I put a couple articles on um, on PubMed. I think this is an article from the American Science of or American Sports Medicine Association or whatever their sports medicine uh, society is, and they had an article about um, kind of a stance article on sleep and athletes. 
And in this article, they talk about some specific recommendations. So they say for um, the American Society of Sleep Medicine actually recommends about seven to nine hours of sleep per night for the adult. However, the American Association of Sports Medicine recommends nine to 10 hours of sleep per night for athletes, especially those athletes that are training very intensely that need sleep to recover. And then even when we're training hard, um, it's actually paradoxical. We need more sleep uh, because the sleep quality and duration actually goes down uh, because they've hypothesized that when we're training hard, it puts our body into a very sympathetic state and that actually negatively impacts our sleep quality and duration. So that's kind of a huge um, facet that, or a huge fact that when you guys take away that you can always sleep more and sleep too much sleep is probably not a bad thing. Uh, the more sleep you get, the better you'll feel and the better your mind and body uh, will recover. I'll kind of dig into why uh, it's so important to sleep uh, in the next couple minutes. So the first segment I'm going to talk about is sleep and performance. So a lot of science shows that uh, reduced sleep quality is an independent, strong independent predictor of poor performance. Uh, in this uh, paper, they talk about, they cite a couple of studies in which they directly tracked uh, athletes before competitions. And athletes that slept less than six hours before competitions had, I think, like a two or three times more likely uh, to lose the competition uh, rather than win. Uh, so this is just in performance-wise. Um, you can probably extrapolate for everyday day-to-day life. And that if you're not sleeping enough, you're probably not going to perform to the best in terms of cognitively, in terms of cognitive performance. And then with physical performance, uh, when you have decreased amount of sleep, it actually reduces your performance um, by um, decreasing your ability to tolerate fatigue. Uh, so they talk about how when you have decreased sleep performance, it reduces, it causes an increase in exertion, which they define as a decreased time to exhaustion. So that means if you're not sleeping at night, the next morning or next day when you train or compete, you become tired quicker. And they're not sure if this is because of a central fatigue, so a central fatigue defined by uh, your brain being tired or if it's peripheral fatigue by your muscles being tired. Uh, so they haven't really elucidated that distinction, but they have discovered or definitely discovered and defined that and linked the uh, they have linked that decreasing your sleep uh, has definitely decreases your ability to physically perform. Further, it also reduces your recovery and your ability to um, replenish muscle glycogen stores. Uh, so especially overnight, um, we do a lot of our replenishment and rebuilding in our body, and especially in our muscles and cells. And part of that is bringing uh, these glycogen back to our cells and building up glycogen to store for our next day's activities. And then we don't sleep enough, um, our body actually burns some of that glycogen uh, because we're awake. Uh, carbohydrates are typically our body's preferred fuel source when we're awake. And as a result, um, your muscles aren't going to retain as much glycogen. So they're not going to be able to uh, have a, as good of a performance the next day after a night of reduced sleep. And finally, uh, sleep reduces our mental capacities and cognitive function. Uh, it reduces our ability to think flexibly, and kind of reduces our executive function. So that means our ability to control our emotions, control our thoughts, and really um, work well with other people. I'm sure all you guys remember, like, 
after like an all-nighter in college or staying up all night in the field or even at ranger school after a couple of days you're like a different person um you're super irritable very moody you just really are feeling tired and really feeling sorry for yourself so it's really important to get into good night's sleep not only for physical performance but also mental and cognitive performance moving on I'll kind of talk a little bit about sleep and injury so um in this paper they kind of cited a study uh in which this uh, a study which looked at adolescents uh adolescent athletes so um, these are middle or high school athletes so these athletes when they slept less than eight hours per night they were 70 percent more likely to report injury and then that was very significant so people that slept less than eight hours per night were kind of 70 percent more likely to be injured um i can i don't really want to go into like the um the uh validities of this uh study but um it definitely kind of shows how important study or kind of shows how important sleep in sleep is in preventing injury by helping us recover uh not only physically but also mentally because they talk about in the study how if you're not sleeping a lot then you might be tired mentally for the next day of training and then when you're not mentally 100 percent you're not going to pay attention to what you're doing and that can lead to some injuries uh, as well as not being physically uh, recovered also uh, when you are not sleeping your immune system is greatly compromised. Uh, so this paper also pulled up a study where they uh, looked at sleep and at people's abilities to fight off the flu virus. So the study was actually kind of cool, or not the flu virus, but the cold, the common cold. Uh, so in the study, they um, sleep restricted these people and stratified them into sleep hours and then gave them uh, a nasal um, spray that included adenovirus, which is kind of the most common virus that causes the common cold. Uh, so they kind of looked at um, symptoms and uh, tracked symptoms and correlated symptoms with sleep hours. So they found that when you people that slept less than seven hours were three times more likely to develop uh, infection-like symptoms compared with those who slept eight hours more. And people who slept less than five hours were four and a half times more likely to develop infection-like symptoms when compared with people that slept more than seven hours. So by that math, if you sleep less than five hours, you're probably like, I don't know, like seven times more likely to uh, develop an infection uh, when you're exposed to sickness. So that really kind of illustrates to us how important sleep is in helping our body fight off infection. Especially in the wintertime when everybody's sick, you definitely need to be getting more sleep to help fight off an infection. And I'll kind of go in a little bit more into the science behind sleep uh, in this next segment. So real fast, um, I'm going to drink some of my coffee. My throat's getting a little uh, sore from talking so much. So these are kind of the first two things I want to talk about and show how important sleep is, not only in performance, but also um, in injury and illness. Moving a little bit on, I'm going to talk to you guys a little bit about sleep science and kind of the science behind sleep. Uh, I kind of mentioned in the intro that it's it can get really nitty-gritty um, and really kind of high level that I don't really understand. And I don't think you need to understand unless you're like, I don't know, a PhD or a sleep specialist or sleep doctor or even like a neurologist. Um, they talk a lot about... Uh, brain waves and different brain waves like theta waves, alpha waves, 
uh, beta waves, delta wave, sleep spindles, uh, kappa waves, all these other weird, um, all this weird shit that I don't really understand and I don't think you guys really understand. So I'm trying to like keep it um, a little simpler for us. So fun fact about sleep, um, most mammals, uh, so we're as humans, we're human beings are mammals too. Most mammals share similar sleep cycles and brain waves when they sleep. So like a, your dog has pretty similar sleep cycles to us. Um, I'm sure you've noticed when your dog falls asleep, they might start running uh, in their sleep and start moving and making noises. Um, contrast that or compare that with you uh, when you start dreaming. Uh, it's kind of interesting to think about how um, animals and humans share such similar uh, sleep characteristics. And I think that kind of also illustrates how important sleep is uh, for all kind of animals and species because um, every pretty much every mammal that or every animal with a brain requires some sort of sleep um, to some sort of sleep to help them with their daily functioning. So going into sleep, uh, every night we have about four to five sleep cycles per night. Uh, in each sleep cycle, uh, there are multiple uh, stages in each cycle, and each stage lasts for roughly 90 to 120 minutes. So for every hour and a, hour and a half to two hours, um, we go through about a sleep cycle. So the different sleep cycles are broken up into wakefulness, uh, non-REM, and then REM sleep. And then non-REM sleep, it's broken up in further into three different stages. We have N1, uh, which is our kind of our transitioning from wake to sleep. Oh, before I talk, I'll talk about non-REM sleep, talk about wakefulness. So being wake is obviously you're awake, your eyes are open, you're thinking, you're moving, um, and you're just awake. So that's our first sleep cycle is being awake. Our next cycle is going to be N1, and this is the first stage of non-REM sleep. And this is kind of the transition stage uh, when we go from wakefulness to falling asleep. Uh, generally speaking, during this stage, you don't really realize you're sleeping. Um, so I'm sure some people, um, I'm sure you, uh, you think about like sometimes when you fall asleep, you kind of start drifting off in sleep and then suddenly like come to and, and wake back up. You are probably in, in one stage because you haven't really realized that you're falling asleep, but uh, kind of wake back up and open your eyes. Uh, you don't actually perceive that you're asleep, so then this is when you like kind of jerk yourself awake and come out of uh, that sleep back in the wakefulness. Our second stage is N2, and that's non-REM2. This is our largest percent of sleep, which comprises about 50% of each night. Uh, I didn't really dig into what this entails or why it's important, um, but just know that this is our largest percentage that we spend in, uh, largest percent of stage that we spend in when we sleep. And then finally, uh, for NREM, we have N3. This is also called our slow wave sleep, uh, which is kind of um, what I want to dig into later a bit, in a little bit, uh, dig into a little bit later, uh, but just to give a little wave tops about slow wave sleep. Um, it's about it comprises about 10 to 20 percent in young adults and slowly decreases with age um, Interesting enough slow wave sleep is actually preserved when sleep is deprived So that kind of in, illustrates how important slow wave sleep is to us in our brain development and to our bodies because even when we restrict our sleep um, So if you get like five hours of sleep You still get um, the minimum of slow wave sleep that you need uh, usually about one to two hours roughly per night and then as we sleep, we kind of progress through these stages. So we go from N1 to N2 to N3 to REM. And then when, and then we kind of cycle back around to N1 and N2 to N3 to REM. Um, and then at REM stages, um, they gradually uh, 
In each stage, the REM percentage gradually increases and then slowly decreases. So that means at the beginning of the night, we get the most of our slow wave sleep and the least amount of REM sleep. And then towards the end of the night, we get the least amount of slow wave sleep and the more uh, REM sleep. So REM sleep is also when we dream um, and we kind of go into the rapid eye movements. That's what REM stands for. Uh, when we're dreaming, uh, they hypothesize that this is when we consolidate our memories and our brain goes through something called neural trimming uh, where they solidify memories and kind of cut out, uh, not necessarily cut out, physically cut out, but like uh, condition out the things that are, are memories that our brain doesn't think that we need. All right, so kind of walk through the different stages of sleep. Now I'm gonna dive into slow wave sleep specifically. So slow wave sleep uh, plays a huge process in memory, uh, is especially important in our memory. There are two hypotheses that kind of tell us um, what slow wave sleep does for memory. This first hypothesis is called the dual process hypothesis. So this theory hypothesizes that slow wave sleep is responsible for declarative memory. So declarative memory is like a memory of facts and events. So like as you're studying in school, this is like uh, memorizing, uh, you know, like the parts of the cell or the quadratic equation or Pythagorean formula, whatever. These are like f memorizing facts and, and figures and numbers. And then they hypothesize that REM sleep is responsible for solidifying our non-declarative memory. So these are like our non-conscious thoughts, like moving, um, uh, like motor functions like sleep like walking like running and playing sports and then the second hypothesis um, so this first hypothesis was the dual process hypothesis the second process is the sequential process and this uh, hypothesis states that uh, memories are tagged in non-REM sleep specifically in slow wave sleep uh, these important memories are tagged there and then in REM uh, these synapses undergo these neural modifications, uh, which solidify um, these neurons and neural processes as permanent fixtures. Um, so this kind of talks about, uh, this is where the concept of neural trimming comes into effect, uh, where they kind of talk about how neurons kind of solidify in our sleep during REM uh, phase. So moving on, I'm going to talk a little bit about the physiological functions of slow wave sleep, slow wave sleep specifically. So slow wave sleep uh, is responsible for energy saving. So what that means is that this is when our brain refuels from our day's activities. Uh, during this phase, our brain kind of replenishes its stores of ATP and glucose. Um, glucose is the, the primary fuel su uh, substrate for our brain. Um, and it's what our brain needs to survive is sugar. That's why uh, when people are diabetics, or not necessarily diabetics, but people have hypoglycemic or they have too low blood sugar, they pass out and can die. I don't know if anyone's, if you guys know any diabetics that might have injected too much insulin and, and their blood sugar tanks, um, they pass out, they start getting really shaky, um, really tremulous, sweaty, um, and then start might actually die, pass out and die. So that's how important blood sugar is to us in our bodies. So this is our phase. Uh, where our brain kind of refuels and puts these energy stores back in our brain for the next day's activity. The second important function of slow wave sleep is hormone synthesis and release. So during slow wave sleep, um, 
the uh, hypothalamus, the HPA axis, the hypothalamus pituitary, and the adrenal axis is turned down, and the sympathetic nervous system is actually turned down as well. These two systems are responsible for our flight or flight um, and kind of our stress response. So these are our hormones like cortisol, epinephrine, and norepinephrine. These are our fight or flight hormones that kind of give us stress and um, go push us into like this fight or flight. So then during this phase, these these hormones turn down, so our, we are less stressed out and are actually more relaxed. And this is also when we actually increase our growth hormone, prolactin, and melatonin secretion. Growth hormone is super important, um, especially in uh, growth and recovery. This is where um, the growth hormone uh, will trigger in the body to um, pretty much make new proteins and to help synthesize and build up cells and recover these cells. Uh, prolactin, I don't doesn't really play that uh, play a ton into um, recovery, but prolactin is important is a hormone responsible for uh, for lactation. Um, so, uh, kind of interesting fact, fun fact. Uh, women who are nursing actually have more slow wave sleep because of this prolactin. But it doesn't really apply to most of us, and prolactin is pretty much just uh, in regards to um, lactation. Uh, prolactin also has some effects on growth, uh, gonadotropin releasing hormone, has uh, a negative feedback loop. But I don't think that's, uh, I didn't really dig too much into this cycle, uh, so I'm not going to talk too much about it. And we find with melatonin, melatonin is kind of our signal and responsible hormone and our brain that's responsible for our circadian rhythms and really helping us and telling us when it's time to sleep. Uh, and with the decrease in sympathetic activity, we have an increase in sympath and parasympathetic activity, excuse me. So with the increase in parasympathetic activity, that's when we are resting and digesting. Uh, that's when we are kind of letting our body recover. And this is also where we have the heart rate variability that we uh, talk a lot about with like our whip straps and other biofeedback monitors and that um, our slow wave sleep is responsible for a lot of our heart rate variability while we're sleeping. Um, last two things to talk about um, are something called brain cleaning. Uh, so in slow wave sleep, this is when a brain actually kind of cleans itself out. Uh, this study, uh, this paper I pulled up about slow wave sleep cited how there is a 60% increase in interstitial space in your brain uh, during slow wave sleep or after slow wave sleep. So what that means is that in the 60% of the space in your brain outside the neurons and outside the cells is cleared up. So this is uh, kind of interesting and kind of cool because it plays a lot into things like dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, in dementia and Alzheimer's, we have a build uh, a buildup of what we call amyloid plaques. And these amyloid plaques are neurotoxic, so they damage our neurons in our brain. And it ultimately cause uh, neurodegeneration, uh, so that causes dementia, memory loss, you know, all these uh, mood changes and all these symptoms that you see with people with dementia and Alzheimer's. So interestingly enough, this is why slow wave sleep is really important uh, for cognitive development and preventing um, dementia and Alzheimer's. Uh, they specifically cite how um, slow wave sleep after slow wave sleep this decreases the amount of amyloid in our brains uh, and kind of the circle back um, and kind of tells us uh, kind of reaffirms the fact that as we get older our slow wave sleep goes down that's another uh, study pointed out 
that as we get age, as we age and get older, the amount of slow wave sleep we get per night um, slows down, and there's less slow wave sleep, which this might contribute to why um, we get dementia and Alzheimer's uh, at an, uh, around our 60 or 70 years old. And then finally, during slow wave sleep, um, slow wave sleep helps us uh, helps boost our immune system. During slow wave sleep, there are a lot of uh, inflammatory cytokines released, and cytokines are um, these proteins and hormones that our body produces uh, specifically to help signal our immune cells to kind of ramp up and kind of go do their job. Uh, so that's kind of like the ones over of how important uh, slow wave sleep is to us physiologically. Just to summarize, slow wave sleep helps us to recover from a day's activity by giving us more sugar in the brains and fuel substrate to our brains. It helps us release hormones and kind of turn down the sympathetic response. It helps relax us uh, and give us more growth hormone. Um, it helps clean out our brains uh, by reducing some of these toxic plaques, uh, these toxic amyloid plaques that build up and cause things like dementia and Alzheimer's. And then finally, slow wave sleep is also important in um, helping and boosting our immune system, uh, helping boost our immune system, and preventing us from getting um, sick. Um, and this finally, this paper talks about ways to improve slow wave sleep. Uh, a lot of the ways to improve slow wave sleep come from increasing GABAergic transmission inside our brain. So GABA is the uh, inhibitory neurotransmitter in our brain. Uh, our body has pretty much yin and yang for everything. Um, there's always something competitive. Uh, there's always two sides to a coin for everything in our body. So in our brain, we have glutamate, which is our um, kind of our stimulatory neurotransmitter, and GABA, which is and GABA, which is our inhibitory neurotransmitter. So increasing GABA in the brain is what is responsible for helping us kind of relax and wind down. It's also kind of where um, there's some research into why people who have anxiety uh, actually have too uh, not enough GABA in their brain. And this might contribute to why people develop anxiety. Uh, in our case, when we talk about slow wave sleep, uh, we want to increase GABA in our brain. Uh, the paper I pulled up talked a lot about different, uh, it was more clinically based, talking to like the primary audience was physicians. So we kind of talked about a lot of pharmaceutical drugs, like antidepressants, uh, things like trazodone, and some other uh, melatonin receptor modulators. Um, nothing that is actually applicable to us uh, or you guys. They also talked about some stuff like transcranial direct stimulation where they put electrodes on your head and send electrical signals through your brain to help stimulate uh, the GABA neurogenic receptors. Uh, also talk about sound therapy which I thought was kind of interesting. They said they like have a speaker that plays at a certain frequency at a certain time uh, to help stimulate slow wave sleep. And then finally they offer also offered hypnosis to help increase slow wave sleep. Uh, not really applicable for any of us, um, but this goes kind of into supplementation uh, and the importance of um, kind of over-the-counter supplements that we can take to help increase slow-wave sleep. So when I was doing a literature review, I actually didn't find any studies or any scientific literature that really uh, drew a, like a very positive association or correlation with uh, supplementation of certain substances and increasing GABAergic activity in our brain. Uh, we usually cite like ZMA, so zinc, magnesium, and aspartate, B6, um, 
and uh, choline maybe, uh, and some other um, chem uh, substances can help increase uh, GABAergic in the brain. Uh, so that's why I think Paragon has done a great job in this their sleep substance or excuse me their sleep supplement. Like when I was taking when I first started taking their night gain supplement, uh, I was able to kind of track my slow of sleep. Um, it had increased drastically when I started taking night gains. It went from like 30 minutes to one to two hour like two hours almost, so like triple and quadruple the amount of slow of sleep I was getting. Which is great. Um, like I talked about how important slow wave sleep is. Um, it really kind of helped me feel better and more recovered the next day. Um, and then finally, I want to end by talking a little bit about um, how to get a good night's sleep. So aside from supplementation, like what are some practices that we can implement uh, to help us screen or help us uh, get a good night's sleep? So the first thing, if you're not getting good night's sleep, is to kind of screen for any medical conditions. Uh, specifically things like rustic leg syndrome, insomnia, disordered breathing, um, which is like obstructive sleep apnea or other sleep apneas, uh, depression, anxiety, or any other illnesses that you might have. But generally speaking, this is probably like less than 5% of us on this podcast would have a legitimate medical condition that prevents us from having a good night's sleep. But that's always the first step is to make sure we don't actually have a something that we can treat with medicines. Um or the medications to prevent us from having a good night's sleep. So next, if you're not having a good night's sleep, the first thing that you should do is start a sleep journal. And a sleep journal is where you write down uh, and journal what you do before you go to bed that night, like what time you go to bed, what time you around what time you fall asleep, and what time you wake up, and, and then how you feel the next day. And the intent of this is to help us kind of learn for ourselves um, what practices or what things that we do at night is helping us fall asleep or hurting our sleep. And then kind of the next day, how we feel, um, if we feel rested or not rested, and then kind of adjusting um, our practices before we go to bed. And this is kind of just a way of making sure that you're kind of thinking and being more aware and mindful of how you're sleeping and really helping teach yourself the, the best ways to fall asleep and go to sleep. Um, we talk about supplementation, so this is like melatonin, like ZMA, is a paragon, uh, night gains will help us uh, fall asleep. Um, sleep hygiene is huge. Uh, so with sleep hygiene, um, we want to fall asleep in a cool, dark room. Uh, so we want it to be completely, almost completely blacked out, uh, no light from screens or any outside light. We want to be relatively quiet, not a lot of background noise or ambient noise. Um, and temperature should be actually kind of cold uh, towards a colder end, around 68 degrees is what they say. Uh, this kind of t like turns our body down and lets us kind of relax a little bit more in our bed and underneath our blankets. And then before you go to bed, you need to have like a 30 minute to one hour wind down period uh, where you have like this relaxation technique or relaxation practice at night to help you like tell your body and your brain that it's time to go to sleep. So what I do is about 30 minutes before I go to sleep, I turn off all my screens, I stop looking at my phone, and I start getting ready for bed. Uh, I get ready for bed, I do some stretching, uh, some static stretching just to loosen up a little bit. I drink, uh, kind of interesting, I drink this salt water. So I take uh, um, this pink Himalayan sea salt, or not sea salt, like this pink natural mineral salt, mix it with some water and drink that. And this is uh, kind of helps because it gives supplements some of the um, minerals that we don't get every day, so things like zinc, magnesium, 
manganese, some copper, some iron, all these earth metals uh, that we don't get a lot of in our diets. So I think this helps me fall asleep. It also kind of prevents me from getting dehydrated while I sleep. Uh, salt kind of plumps up our intravascular volume, so that means it kind of draws fluid into our bloodstream and our blood vessels uh, and kind of keeps uh, fluid in our blood vessels and helps us um, dehydrate as we're sleeping. Um, and then I drink that salt water and then go to bed. And while I'm in bed, I journal and do my nightly journal practice. Um, there's a lot of different ways that you can nightly journal practice. I'll probably talk about this later in a different uh, podcast. Um, but if you're interested, just uh, Google nighttime journals um, just to see where you can uh, kind of get started. So I journal and then I read a book for 10 to 15 minutes and turn off my lights and then do my meditation practice uh, where I concentrate on my breath and empty my brain and empty my thoughts and just really relaxing. Finally, you should avoid uh, screens like TV screens, um, iPhones, tablets, laptops, computers, um, because these screens usually emit what's called blue uh, blue light, uh, which is what's mostly emitted by the sun, and this is what kind of signals to our brain and our body that to stay awake. Um, you can get blue light blockers, uh, which are these like yellow lenses. Uh, Paragon actually sells them too, and these blue blockers kind of block out the blue light. Uh, and helps signal to our brain that's probably time to go to bed and go to sleep. Uh, you should avoid alcohol and nicotine, and probably the most important thing is to have a consistent sleep time or a consistent circadian rhythm. This means you're going to bed at the same time, almost or roughly the same time every night, and getting up around the same time every night or every morning. Excuse me. And this is a like a great routine building for our body because this makes it. So that our body consistently starts releasing these hormones at nighttime, uh, specific melatonin, to help tell us it's time to go to bed. Um, if we start messing around with circadian rhythms, um, they can lead to decreased sleep performance and kind of decreases our uh, decreases our sleep uh, quality as well. Um, just to finally round out, uh, naps are kind of equivocal in data. Uh, that means that. They haven't really proven to be beneficial or harmful uh, in our overall sleep quality. Uh, but some tips for naps you want to avoid. Uh, you want to sleep no more than 30 minutes. This prevents us from getting sleep inertia, sleep inertia, uh, which is like when you wake up super groggy after a nap. Um, also, you want to avoid napping later in the day uh, because napping can disrupt our nighttime sleep and kind of throw off our circadian rhythms. So if you want to nap, probably like shoot around late afternoon or early afternoon, like between one and three, kind of like a siesta after lunch, um, and that can be very beneficial to us um, if you need some recovery or just to get some shut eye so that you can keep uh, staying uh, high performing. So uh, this has been actually a pretty long podcast. I think we're at like thirty something minutes already. Uh, so I just want to summarize real fast and kind of. Um, talk, kind of rehash a lot of things about sleep real fast. So sleep uh, is super important for us because it uh, helps boost our performance. Uh, when we get less sleep, we perform poorer in terms of both physically, mentally, and cognitively, and emotionally. Decreased sleep causes uh, increased chance of injury and illnesses, um, and that we, if we don't sleep, they will more likely to become injured or to get sick. And then of the different sleep cycles, we have 
non-REM and REM sleep. We have N1, N2, N3 for our non-REM, and then REM cycle is just REM. And then of all these cycles, um, slow wave sleep or NREM3 is probably the most important because it uh, has a lot of physiological functions that are very important to our brain development and kind of our overall uh, well-being and physical recovery. And that we can improve our sleep through a variety of different um, methods, but most importantly being um, having a good circadian rhythm by going to sleep uh, at consistent times and waking up at consistent times. Um, and then making sure you have a wind down period before you go to bed and any sleep time supplements can help as well. Things like melatonin, ZMA, or Paragon's night, night gains. As always, guys, uh, I just want to round out and conclude and say that, as always, I'm very um, blessed and thankful for you guys and for being able to kind of share my knowledge uh, and, and share some good information with you guys. Um, I think we all know that sleep is important for us, but I don't think we know exactly why sleep is important to us. Uh, so in this podcast, I hope to kind of illustrate how important and why sleep is so important to us and that why we should get about eight hours of sleep at night. So as always, guys, hit us up if you have any questions. You can hit uh, email us at hq at cronusfit.org, find us online at cronusfit.org, or find us on Instagram at cronusfit. Until next time, guys. Later. Just don't, can't stop this.